what caused the Civil War. While Miss Nikki Haley was reluctant to say the S-word, we all know that slavery caused a civil war. But the question that goes to the heart of race and racism in America is this. Was slavery the civil war's immediate cause or its underlying cause? You know, the, the, the people on the far left, there's no need to overstate the case. Slavery was, was the huge issue between these, these um, sectors, and, and nobody is or nobody should be disputing that. And on the other hand, you know, I think Nikki Haley, presumably because she's in a political primary and, and didn't want to offend maybe who she perceives as to be Republican voters, um, you know, refused to say the S word. And she said, you know, what's causes slavery? Like, <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. The S word. It's just ridiculous. And, you know, I, I hope we haven't gotten to the point where we can't discuss history in, in political campaigns. But although the Republicans had promised up and down they were not going to attack slavery in the states where it existed, they were only going to uh, restrict slavery from going into, into new states. They offer them guarantees, even a, even a constitutional amendment, to promise to never interfere uh, with slavery, they would never have uh, voted uh, for government uh, to go to war uh, for the purpose of freeing the slaves. They would never have gone to war uh, for freeing the slaves. You know, Lincoln was um, very clever in a sense. To, you know, he, he took warships down. So even his cabinet was against, by the way, going to war. Now, these states, they're not declaring war. They don't want a war. You know, they, they would, when the war started, and I have many accounts of this in my book, that they were shocked. As one of them said, war was not part of the plan. They just wanted to be separate. They would have slavery. They would have, you know, their institutions, their culture based around slavery. But, uh, Lincoln's still very careful. Twice during this period, generals announced uh, wholesale emancipations in their territory. Lincoln retracts. He's, that, that's, that's, that's my bailiwick. Only I have the right. He says all knew that this, he talks about the slavery interest, this was somehow the cause of the war. So somehow, not, not that it was the one cause, the only cause, the thing that brought them to war, it was somehow behind it. He's, he's careful to respect the nuances of history. Then he says that it was the, he envisions the war as being the punishment that God meted out to North and South for the crime of slavery, for the three, 250 years of the bondman's toil. He says, and if, if God wills it, it will go on till every cent that had been earned through the slave trade and the owning of slaves was frittered away. Did you know that the South actually contemplated emancipating its enslaved population? Had that happened, do you think that Northerners would have continued fighting and dying in that bloody war against the Confederacy? Hey there, news peelers. Today is January 31st, 2024. And this is Adele, your host at the History Behind News podcast. Aren't you tired of the repetitive news on TV and social media? They just go over the same dramatized developments all day long. Do you ever wonder what happened before our news? I mean, how do we get here? They say if you don't know your history, you're bound to repeat it. So while others cover the news, I uncover its history. I call this peeling the history behind news 
which we accomplish in weekly conversations with distinguished scholars who delve deep into history to give us their fascinating perspectives from our past. I'm committed to making in-depth history that are researched and written by scholars, enjoyable and accessible to everyone. So grab a cup of coffee or your favorite drink or both and let's get into it. In Berlin, New Hampshire, a voter asked Ms. Nikki Haley this question. What was the cause of the United States Civil War? She started out by saying, well, don't come with an easy question or anything. As for her answer, this is what she said. I mean, the cause of the Civil War was basically how the government was going to run, the freedoms of what people could and couldn't do. Then she threw the voter's question back at him. What do you think the cause of the Civil War was? The voter responded, I'm not running for president. I wanted to see your thoughts on the cause of the Civil War. She then continued with some stuff about freedom, rights of the people, capitalism, and the role of government. The voter then said, thank you, in the year 2023. It's astonishing to me that you can't answer that question without mentioning the word slavery. Then, in response to the voter's follow-up question, she responded rather plaintively, what do you want me to say about slavery? The voter shot back, no, you've answered my question, thank you. Ms. Haley forced a smile and then said, next question. To her credit, though, the next day she said this on a local New Hampshire radio show. Of course the Civil War was about slavery, and that's the easy part. Yes, I know it was about slavery. I'm from the South. Ms. Haley was born in South Carolina. She was a U.S. House representative for South Carolina and was the governor of that state, where the Civil War started with those first shots at Fort Sumter. At the opening, I said in this episode we'll look into whether slavery was the Civil War's immediate cause or its underlying cause. Well, aside from the fact that this makes for a great conversation about history, what does it really matter? At the end, the war happened. How does the distinction help us now, whether or not slavery was the underlying cause or the immediate cause of the Civil War? As it turns out, this distinction does really matter. It absolutely matters because history is not headline news. We can't and shouldn't dumb it down into a short sentence. And if we do, then we learn nothing from our past, including about our own racial prejudices and the actions they motivated or prevented. So to better understand the conditions that led to the Civil War and how politicians rallied support for its continuation despite its unprecedented carnage, I spoke to Roger Lowenstein. Mr. Lowenstein reported for the Wall Street Journal for more than a decade. He's a historian and his writings and writings about his books appear in the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, Fortune, the New York Times, Atlantic, the uh, Washington Post, and many other publications. He has written several books, including New York Times bestsellers about different important personalities and periods in our country's history. His upcoming book is a biography of Sam Walton. In this conversation, we draw from his book on the Civil War. It's titled Ways and Means, Lincoln and His Cabinet and the Financing of the Civil War, which was the winner of the Harold Halzer Lincoln Forum Book Prize. It's a fantastic book that I read and thoroughly enjoyed. To learn more about Mr. Lowenstein, you can visit his homepage, the link for which is provided in the detailed caption of this episode. So, stay with me as Mr. Lowenstein and I 
peel the history behind this news. Why did the small European kingdoms, and not the huge empires of the Middle East, conquer the world? But they also have a problem collecting taxes. In these enormous empires spread out a large area. So the Ottomans, for instance, collect much less in tax revenues than their European enemies, the Austro-Hungarians. And if Japan could catch up with the West, then why couldn't the countries of the Middle East, with their vast natural resources and young and able populations? Unlike the clergy in the Ottoman Empire, say, you say, no, no, no printing press. These, the central government and these lords in Japan were divided. And so they were, some of them were really willing to experiment. And they began experimenting. They experimented with different political institutions, they sought advice in the West, and they also sought Western learning. The goal was, let's bring in ideas and technology from the West, but keep the Westerners out. Just keep them under control. I spoke to Dr. Philip Hoffman about these important topics at Unraveling the Middle East podcast. Dr. Hoffman is a professor of business economics and history at Caltech, He's the author of Why Did Europe Conquer the World, a book that we discussed. I've dropped a link for you to my conversation with Dr. Hoffman. Now, let's start our conversation with Mr. Lowenstein about what caused America's civil war. Mr. Lowenstein, it's a pleasure to have you in our program again. Thank you for taking the time for this conversation with me. Did slavery cause the civil war or was slavery the underlying cause of the civil war i'm not trying to get cute with words here i think there's a difference well adele first it's great to be back on your show um and you know everyone wants to force this uh this question into an eight word uh uh, soundbite so let me just Mm -hmm. take a little more um obviously slavery was was one of the main underlying uh, causes of the war there had been uh, 10 years, more than 10 years of heated battles in Congress, Kansas-Nebraska Act, uh, uh, you know, a compromise of 1850, many, many of these battles between North and South over the issue of slavery. So this is brimming, it's simmering, it's heating up, it's heating up. When you get to the actual war itself, the shooting war that started in, um, in April of 1861, I think you have to look very carefully. So this is like almost a month after uh, Lincoln becomes president. It's a month after uh, Lincoln became president. Mm-hmm. And it's it's many years after the North and South have clearly been divided over slavery. I mean, if they just wanted to have a war over slavery, they could have gone to war in 1850 or, or in 1852 <laughs> yeah. or 1854. Because yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the South was very firm. They were not going to give up slavery. The, the, as the Republicans rose in the North, they were very firm. They didn't like it, but they didn't go to war. But something happened. Something happened. To, to, to get to your question now, to actually cause it. And if we look carefully at, at how the Civil War started, it really happened in two parts. When two I say parts. two parts, okay. you know, if, you, if you think just for a second about America getting into World War II, there was one action. 
there were underlying causes, but Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. The next day, FDR is in Congress. The day that we live in infamy, we're at war. One thing, Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. It was one step. The okay. Civil War was two steps. The first step is the South secedes. And it's not the whole South. It's not, not even all the cottons, not even all the slave states. It's the seven, what we call cotton states in the deep South. Wait, wait, so, let, let me, let me make sure I follow you. You're saying not the entire South seceded, only no, no. seven states that produce cotton. Only seven states produce that were you know, primarily cotton, South Carolina, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Georgia, and so on. So Arkansas, seven of them. That began with South Carolina, Nikki Haley state, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course, course, yeah. Paying close attention uh, uh, to the news. And South Carolina succeeded in December of 1860. Um, this is uh, right after Lincoln was elected. And they succeeded really because they were afraid that the, the uh, incumbent, now incumbent Republicans were a very anti-slavery party. Although the Republicans had promised up and down they were not going to attack slavery in the states where it existed. They were only going to uh, restrict slavery from going into, into new states, uh, Kansas and, and the states uh, further uh, west. So what this means is that we're not going to attack the existence of slavery. We're going to prevent its expansion. That's right. And and um, the, the Republic, Republicans said that again and again. Lincoln said that again and again. And as the southern cotton states uh, begin to secede, uh, uh, Lincoln and the Republicans reinforce that. They offer them guarantees, even a, even a constitutional amendment, to promise to never interfere uh, with slavery, which was not much of an offer because in Lincoln's mind, they didn't have the legal right. And the law was very important to Lincoln. The law is very important to Lincoln. They had the right. They didn't have the legal right to secede? Is that what you mean? No, no. They didn't have the right to, to, to tell the states what institutions they could have to, to abolish oh, slavery. Yeah. They had the right in federal territories because they were federal not to permit slavery there, but they didn't have the right. So, so they were not wiping out slavery. Um, meanwhile, the, so the southern states are seceding, and there's no war. Uh, um, South Carolina uh, secedes in uh, December. Uh, Buchanan says, uh, in effect, in Horace Greeley, Aryan sisters go in peace. Uh, South Carolina is followed by, by Mississippi, by Louisiana, by the others I, I mentioned, uh, I think all of those, the other six in, um, in January. These states, they're not declaring war. They don't want a war. You know, they, they would, when the war started, and I have many accounts of this in my book, they were shocked. As one of them said, war was not part of the plan. They just wanted to be separate. They would have slavery. They would have, you know, their institutions, their culture based around slavery, but, but other differences as well, not an industrial, more agrarian, many differences, and the North would be, would be up there. Lincoln, however, uh, has taken an oath or takes an oath on March 4th to defend the Constitution. And the Constitution, as he reads it, is, is, protects all the states and protects them in one union. And he believes he's sworn, uh, to defend that, um, that union. So ultimately, and this is April, this is a month after, um, he takes office and it's, uh, what, uh, November, uh, December, January, February, March. It's about four and a half months. After the secession start, um, he sends uh, ships down to to uh, Char- Charleston Harbor, uh, Fort Sumter, to Fort Sumter to yeah. reinforce a federal fort. And the South, the Confederacy, the now newly named state, nation of the Confederacy, seeing its territory invaded, fires, 
and, and the war starts. So why did the North send those ships? The North really provoked the war. The South did not want war. Uh, Lincoln provoked the war uh, for what reason? And he said this again and again. And that reason is because the South uh, has seceded. The South had violated the compact of the states to be one union. And he says repeatedly, and, and it's in every letter of the time that discusses it. I, you know, I found a letter where someone, a soon-to-be soldier, writes to his mother in Europe saying this war is not being fought over slavery. Now, everybody knows slavery is in, in, in the background because what's the big difference between these two sides? That are yeah. The, war? the yeah. big difference is one of them has slave labor and one of them mostly doesn't. Although, although there are some, we should note, there are four slave states who, who, who never will succeed and, and will fight you know, with the Union. Um, but the, but, but the, I'm sorry, you said four slave states did not secede and fought along the. Yeah, Kentucky, Missouri, yeah. Delaware, and Maryland. I mean, that's right. They, they, and after some skirmishing, it's not clear. You know, Maryland at the beginning is very secessionist, it's very hot, but ultimately these four, these four states remain with the Union. They're slave states. Um, so, um, by the way, that, that's another evidence. There, there are slave states. You know, what are they fighting for? They're certainly not fighting for emancipation. Because they're they're slave states, um, um, uh, Mr. Lawrence, I want to interrupt you, please, and 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 get some perspective on what Lincoln was thinking, his point of view at that time. We're talking about 1860 uh, and protecting the Union. I'm trying to understand for myself is if the word Union was as important then as it is now to us. Well, it was very important to Lincoln uh, uh-huh. for reasons I get to. But it was also very fraught. So why is it very important? Lincoln grows up uh, for a few years in Kentucky, then Indiana, and then Illinois. Um, he makes his business, which of course is, is law, but he's, he's really a commercial lawyer. He's representing railroads. He's representing people with claims against railroads. Yeah. He's very involved. Before that, he, he clerks for a store, uh, which, which goes bust, which, which fails. He has a, a number of other jobs. He's very involved in the commerce of the country. And, you know, in, in, you know, today, if you want to buy something, you go on Amazon and you buy it. <laughs> but back then, there was no, there was no Amazon. Uh, there was no one currency. There weren't rivers to get you to big cities if you were in parts of the country like where Lincoln was. And the union of the country, being able to get goods, particularly from the interior of the country, from places like Salem, you know, Illinois or Springfield, Illinois, to the big cities in the east, that was everything. It meant if you were a farmer that your crops wouldn't spoil on the, on the way to, 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 to port and it'd be worth something. That was just, you know, everything. And, and mm. to have any economic hope. Uh, and, and he always, when he talked about the strength of democracy, it was prosperity. And if the union couldn't be prosperous, he always felt that would be a, it, it, it would be a failing. It, it, the American dream was, was hinged on, on its prosperity. And, he felt they had to be a union. He gave a speech where he said, together as one country, we're connected to ports to every continent. From the West Coast, we can go to Asia. From the South, we can go to Latin America. From the East, we can go to Europe, of course. But, but if we separate, you know, no one part of the country can access all of these, much less access each other. And yeah. he was, so he was, um, uh, uh, Richard Hofstadter, the famous historian, said something, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially he said to Lincoln, the acid test of a democracy was economic. And he really felt that, that the union would, would, would rise or fall on, on being a union. And he also realized, uh, growing up in the states that he grew up in, 
and they were basically not abolitionist states. Uh, Kentucky was a slave state. Southern Illinois, where he came from, was uh, had a lot of Kentuckians uh, in it. Um, they fled there. They were very um, not only anti-abolition. Uh, they passed black laws to to, um, to prevent blacks from settling there, to prevent them from voting there, to prevent them serving on on juries. There's no other word to to, to use for Illinois um, in um, 1860. It was it was a very racist place. You know, Lincoln you know ran against against Stephen Douglas as an anti-slavery candidate in 1858, and of course oh. lost. Wow. Um, before oh, we talk about uh, the nature let, of... Let, let me just let me just finish where, where that point is going is huh? Lincoln knew that to take um, too strong a stand uh, would be a political suicide. That, that, that to make a union in this country, even a union of the North, uh, he had to be very careful in... in, in political uh, stance on slavery, you mean? On slavery and, yeah. and, on, and on what we now call civil rights. Yeah. Um, or equality, you know, social equality for, for blacks who were free. Um, you know, when I asked you about union, their perspective of the term of the word union back in the 1850s, war, coming up to the Civil War, in comparison to ours, you said you wanted to share with me Lincoln's, which you did view, but you also said the term was fraught. Well, Let's talk about that part. Fraught because... Um, uh, the South obviously wanted uh, uh, slavery. Uh, in places like Massachusetts, uh, where I live in New England, uh, there were more abolitionists. Uh, but there weren't, any, there weren't many blacks in, in, in New England, so they were yeah. they were um, almost um, armchair uh, uh, <laughs> armchair integrationists. Uh, yeah. But um, in the uh, areas of the country that were uh, very much mixed, which had uh, more blacks living in them. Uh, more Southerners drifting up, places like Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, you know, places that, he, that remarkably today, even we think of as swing states. Uh, yeah. Like, um, the country had di very different feelings. Um, they would never have uh, voted uh, for government uh, to go to war uh, for the purpose of freeing the slaves. They would never have gone to war uh, for freeing the slaves. You know, Lincoln was um, very clever in a sense. To, you know, he, he took warships down. So even his cabinet was against by the way, going to war. Wow. But wow. he was very clever. He took warships down there, just he said to reprovision. And when he was fired on, when the Union ships were fired on, um, you know, that, that sort of raised the cry, now we have to fight back. Uh, you know, honor meant, meant a lot in the 19th century. And in fact, he, he furnished the excuse to go to war. But um, there was um, there wasn't really a sentiment in the South or in the North to go to war before it happened. That's fascinating. First of all, you said he was careful to send the ships to Fort Sumter, which I've visited and I encourage our audience to visit, um, to reprovision. This is not to go, re like, you know, fight a war. We're just sending supplies over there. Basically. Yes, that's the, supplies, the supplies might include arms, yeah. so they include food, and, and they would reprovision the fort uh, to withstand Southern attack, but, but, but he was not going to offload uh, troops. Yeah, yeah. None. So... With all and the of South, this, by the way, the, the South at that point, remember I said only seven states uh, uh, had seceded. Those seven uh, did not notably include uh, North Carolina or Virginia. Virginia was a border state. Yeah. It was by far and away um, uh, the most industrial state. Uh, if you look at it geographically, it just, you know, it occupies this prime territory between 
uh, Maryland and Pennsylvania in the north, uh, Pennsylvania to the west and the south. Without Virginia, the south couldn't have lasted, you know, nearly four years. And the south felt that uh, to rally these other southern states, uh, you know, Virginia was a slave state, but it wasn't a slave state. It didn't have the proportion of slaves, didn't have the cotton. It was slowly shifting to industries that weren't as dependent uh, on slavery, unlike Mississippi and Alabama, which were you know, all in for cotton, rice, all in for slavery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, Jefferson Davis and the states that had seceded felt that to get these border states to go in with them, uh, they would have to provoke a war and call on their honor, uh, in quotes, as, as Southerners and as fellow slaveholders to go in, and that's what they did. So you're talking about how the South uh, rallied um, other uh, reluctant Southern states to join the war. And before that, you said several stuff that were fascinating. Many of these states were not abolitionists. They even had black laws for crying out loud. So from what, what I hear from you is that Northerners, it doesn't seem like they would go and die to free enslaved blacks. Um, Illinois had an election in 1862. Uh, it was in the summer. It's when Lincoln, their, their, you know, their favorite son. Um, when so Lincoln, we're like about a year into the war. Four year plus into the war. Lincoln's working on the Emancipation Proclamation. Mm-hmm. Illinois at the time is redoing its own constitution and has, a ref- has two referendums. One is um, whether or not uh, blacks should be able to move in. And the other is whether or not blacks should be able to vote. And the one on whether or not blacks uh, should be able to move in is, is easily voted down. The one on whether or not they should be able to vote is voted down, is, is, is rejected seven to one. In fact, wow. a, a, a reporter for the New York Times is there. <laughs> and he writes back and, and he says, again, I'm paraphrasing, but it, it, it's completely accurate in the sense of it. He says, not in any of Jefferson Davis's councils, you know, will you find <laughs> such a prejudicial, um, uh, you know, voter or, or, or reaction. Um, and Jefferson Davis being the president of the South. So if that's the case, how did Lincoln rally Northerners to go fight this war? Well, um, does it know, go back it, to it, Union? That you the, were saying? The, the, the mentality is 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 really, um, you know, the, the honor really really carried a lot of weight. They were fired on. You have to read these accounts. New York, New York State was a completely copperhead, meaning leaning pro-Southern state. They, all these merchants dominated New York. They didn't want to lose their cotton business, their trade. It's, it's, it's really on the brink of treason. And once uh, Fort wow. Sumter attacks, uh, attacks, or Fort Sumter is attacked, uh, uh, you know, by the Confederacy, all of a sudden the brass bands are marching. There are huge crowds. Even the Democratic uh, financiers in New York start coughing up big money. Uh, to form regiments, because this is what happened that day. It didn't all come from the federal government. Uh, the, the states, often supported by private donors, uh, uh, bought the uniforms, the ammunition, and so on. And, oh, and private donors. Interesting. Yes. Okay. They, they accepted it from all uh, sources. They raised bonds. The states raised bonds. And New York is all of a sudden gaga for war. It is, you know, it, it is just... Um, it's it's sort of the way things were in the 19th century. You know, someone like they continued to be in World War One. I, I think that was the last time that people got uh, very rip roaring excited. Yeah, uh, it's kind of a romantic notion of yeah, romantic notion of long home chivalry uh, for Christmas. Yeah, um, uh, there is a there is a resolution I should point out 
and 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 I don't want to say that slavery. I, you know, I want to keep stressing it was the underlying difference between yeah. the yeah, sections. Yeah, yeah. It's in everybody's mind, and and Southerners in their diaries are writing. You know, I wonder if slavery is going to last this war, but nobody knows the mechanism. The, the, the North continues to say once the war is started that slavery is not the root. In fact, uh, two uh, one senator and uh, one congressman, both uh, from uh, uh, slaves, loyal slave states, propose a resolution in the Congress. This is in July 1861, several months into the war, saying this war is not being fought to preserve, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, to uh, upend any Southern institution. That's the way they put it, upend slavery. It overwhelmingly passes. And by the way, the Congress is at that point overwhelmingly Republican because most of the Democrats are Southerners and they're seceded. So the Congress is on record as saying, we are not fighting uh, this war uh, uh, to upend or, or to do anything about uh, slavery. Um, so, in, in fact, this is so emphatic that Horace Greeley, you know, the famous journalist, yeah, uh, yeah, gets so fed up. He says he says to Lincoln, uh, "It's the pre he writes a column, a famous column, uh, you know, since the prayer of twenty millions, twenty millions, basically, essentially, the population of the northern states, well, say the prayer of twenty million." that you will free the slaves. And I, I don't really think he was right. There was no majority of Northerners who, who felt that way. And Lincoln answers him back uh, in very measured terms. He said, uh, and there's no clear definition from Lincoln of his purposes in this. He said, if I could uh, win this war, if I could preserve the Union uh, by freeing no slaves, I would do it. And if I could preserve the Union by freeing every slave, I would do it. And if I could preserve the Union by freeing some slaves and not others, uh, I would do it. <laughs> and, and that oh, is wow. basically that is basically the landscape, um, you know, before the Emancipation Proclamation, which is now just several months away. And I just want you to consider one thought experiment until we get there, which is late in the war, when the South is desperate for men, they begin to consider emancipating the slaves. I just want you to consider this. So suppose they've been very, wow. but, but let me just ask, pose this thought experiment. Suppose they had been very forward thinking and several months into the war, they say, you know, it, it, blacks are be, slaves are beginning to self-emancipate, to, to escape. This is becoming a real problem. You know, we're bleeding men on the farms. We don't have enough troops. What if we emancipated the slaves? Then, you know, we'd have all these men to fight for us. They'd be loyal. They'd be grateful. What if they had freed the slaves? And Jefferson Davis had sent a telegram to Lincoln saying, the slaves are free now. If you're just fighting for slavery, you can put down your arms and we'll be two separate nations, but but you don't have to fight. To, well, no way. Lincoln's not going to stop fighting. Yeah, based on what you he, just share with us, he would continue to fight. It's the union. Uh, he's not. He's fighting to preserve the union. Yeah. Now, things are going to evolve, and you'll ask me about that. Things are going to evolve. Yeah. In terms of what got us to this point, you know, slavery is there absolutely underlying it. It's not where the North goes to war. Interesting. We'll be back after a short break to talk about much of what we've been talking about so far. Evolution of Lincoln's stance on slavery. We'll be right back. What do Russia's oligarchs now have in common with the South's elite? The wealthy owners of huge plantations who enslaved blacks. What does Russia's oil now have in common with the South's cotton before and during the Civil War? The North was in a very similar situation. The North needed uh, Southern cotton. 
And they also uh, wanted the British and French to get Southern cotton because they, they were afraid that the British would intervene in the war on the side of the South or intervene to force a ceasefire and, and, and keep the two halves of America uh, independent. In season two, episode 14, I spoke with Mr. Lowenstein about the history of the Civil War as it relates to the war in Ukraine. We also talked about the economies of the South and the North. I've dropped a link for you to my prior conversation with Mr. Lowenstein. Now, let's get back to our current conversation with Mr. Lowenstein about the causes of the Civil War. Mr. Lowenstein, we talked about uh, Lincoln's um, Lincoln's view on slavery. What I'm wondering is, what was his personal and political journey to go to the Emancipation Proclamation? Lincoln is always personally offended uh, by slavery, morally offended. Um, you know, he he said things throughout his career. Uh, if slavery is not wrong, nothing is wrong. I mean, just just things that that um, you can't make up that a lawyer didn't write for him. You know, yeah. no consultant wrote it for him. Uh, you know, many of your listeners and viewers, I bet, have have uh, have heard his quotation uh, when he's taking a riverboat ride down the Mississippi River mm-hmm. as a young man, and he he sees a bunch of uh, of enslaved blacks, as, as he puts it, uh, bound together like fish on a trot line. He's just He's just, and he writes back, he's going with his, his dear friend, Jonathan Speed. He writes to Speed's sister of the journey, and he says, this, this just torments me. He writes that sometime after, the sight of these, of these human beings uh, of, of being treated this way. And, and he makes statements um, uh, throughout uh, his um, uh, political emergence in the 1850s uh, uh, that slavery is wrong, it's morally wrong, we all know it's wrong. Uh, what he doesn't do is call for abolition because, yeah. as we referred to at the top of the show, he doesn't believe he has the legal right. You know, a word on Lincoln in the law. He grows up in this era of lynchings, of mob violence. And to Lincoln, none of us, no societies are that far from the mob. And there's only one thing that protects us from mob rule. It's the law. And, and he says, you know, even if a law is unwise, Better that we adhere to it religiously and work to change it. You know, otherwise, you know, how, how much better are we than, you know, uh, than, than any dictatorship or savages or as they would refer to them then or, or, or whatever. Uh, so you, you have to be law abiding. So he's not an abolitionist. And because of the uh, overriding race prejudice in the areas of the country he grows up, he refuses to advocate. Uh, for what we would now call civil rights, for for equal, social equality, um, and and at the beginning of his career, even for voting uh, for blacks, although although he'll he'll you know migrate quite a lot, and and you'll um, in, in terms of his personal feelings, what type of man he was, uh, Frederick Douglass once said, um, you know, before the Emancipation Proclamation, a blind man could see where his heart is, and when he goes to meet Lincoln in the White House, Lincoln's the first president, whoever takes in African-American visitors uh, to the Oval Office. Uh, Douglas said he was the first great man who did not remind me of the difference of color. And Sojourner mm-hmm. Truth, Sojourner Truth, the, the, the woman uh, uh, activist for abolition, escaped slave herself in, in childhood, uh, she talks about um, uh, the, the great cordiality and kindness 
shown to her. This phrase is important by that great and good man. So great because he's doing good things, great things, but also good, also good. I, I, I think it's a you know, a very well chosen phrase because you could be a, a great man, do great things for your country, but also be cruel, right? Right, or or or, or not have received blacks in the White House. Yeah, yeah. Treated them with contempt. He yeah. was great, and he was also good, and and um, you know, we can ask ourselves which is more important. But but <laughs> but 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 yeah. um, you know, he he had um, he had both. As the war goes on, um, he. Um, uh, increasingly looks for something that can uh, mobilize the North. You know, the North is not doing very well. It's losing more than its share of battles. Um, he's changing generals. You know, he just, he, he, he's, if you read his correspondence, he, he just can't find a general, even, even to fight the war. McClellan, you know, who, who, the boy Wonder doesn't want to get his troops, uh, uh dirty and, and the general just, that wouldn't fight. Lincoln at one point is so despairing, he says, if you won't use your army, I'd like to borrow it. He's <laughs> a sense of humor, but it's despairing. And he increasingly begins to attack um, slavery around the edges. In, uh, in April of 1862, uh, the Congress passes uh, with uh, you know, Lincoln's signature uh, abolition in the uh, emancipation, I should say, in the District of Columbia, federal territory. So that doesn't it's a violated constitutional yeah. provision. It's with um, it's with compensation, so it, it's very mild in a the sense. They don't want to you know, cheat slaveholders. Uh, they pass uh, two confiscation acts in Congress, which Lincoln signs, which give the uh, the North the right to sue for property of uh, of Confederate leaders, including property and slaves. That's very hard to affect these. They don't actually lead um, uh, to any actual. Uh, blacks being emancipated and um, uh, blacks begin to um, uh, free uh, to flee in larger and um, in larger numbers uh, or to union lines. Uh, Lincoln's still very careful. Twice during this period, generals announce uh, wholesale emancipations in their territory. Lincoln retracts. He's that that's 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 my bailiwick. Only I have the right. He's very careful when he does this. Uh, to say to General Fremont, the second one of them, uh, he doesn't say that he's opposed to emancipation. He just says, I will pick the time and I will pick the place. So um, you see he's evolving. Mm. He, he needs something that will uh, energize uh, the Northern troops. He also realizes, as he's being told, without the slaves, who's going to grow the crops in the Southern fields? Without the, If the slaves continue to come north, the North will have all these added men. To enlist in their army, which they will do, two hundred thousand uh, nearly, uh, ultimately. So Lincoln begins to think uh, of emancipation as a necessity for the war, as as part of his purpose. Remember, his purpose being uh, emancipation, and that's really his uh, purpose being to preserve the union. To preserve the union, yeah, means winning the war, yeah, and that leads him uh, uh, to uh, to the Emancipation Proclamation. Now, the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, which is issued in, in two steps, one in September 1862. It's just issued as, as a threat. It says to any states that remain in rebellion, uh, I declare your slaves uh, forever free come January 1. So again, his purpose is to end the rebellion, to bring them back to the Union. 
you know, if, if, if Georgia had said at that point, okay, uh, you win, we're coming back in the union, the Emancipation Proclamation will not affect slaves in Georgia. And in oh, fact, wow. And in fact, it does not affect and will not affect uh, slaves in Maryland because Maryland is not rebellion, rebellion. Yeah. The Union State does not affect slaves in Kentucky, does not affect slaves in Delaware, and so on. It only affects slaves in rebellion. It's very carefully, very carefully tethered to his um, spoken purpose. And yet, he, he you know, the, the, the document itself is very dry. It's um it's almost bloodless. Of, you know, all of his great speeches, Gettysburg Address, the second inaugural, first inaugural, there are just so many of them. Uh uh, this is not a, is not among them, uh, but but having put pen to paper, he realizes, and I think I think issuing the proclamation itself on January one is part of his journey towards realizing that whatever the initial cause, this war is taking on uh, a larger goal now because he says uh, to a lawyer who's with him uh, at the time or, or visits him shortly after, if my name ever goes in the history books. It will be for this one act. My name wow. ever goes into the history books. It will be for this one act. So uh, he begins to think of this uh, as a joint purpose, along with the purpose he, he never relinquished, which is to um, uh, uh, to stitch the union back together. So did uh, the Emancipation Proclamation, as signed on January 1, 1863, did that also affect states that were not? That, that had not been in the rebellion, or did it no, just... no, it, it 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 does not affect, um, it it does not affect states, you know, in, in slaves in Kentucky and Maryland, uh, Delaware, Missouri. There, it only affect it's an, it's an issue as is an act of war, yeah. So it only affects actually districts and states. It's, it's it's very specific, which are in rebellion uh, against the United States. So um, it's it's specifically an act of war, which he felt was the only. A constitutional basis that he could issue for. He didn't have any legal right to tell somebody in Maryland for your slaves. So, save the constitutional amendment that comes later and abolishes slavery, for how long before that did states like Maryland continue to have slaves? Since the emancipation... Go ahead, please. They, they, you know, Lincoln now is encouraging, they pass a law that will reward uh, loyal states for freeing their slaves. But they don't force them. And their slaves in Maryland, uh, you know, up to the end of the war and uh, probably uh, until um, uh, probably until the the uh, uh, the last state, uh, the last necessary state signs on later in 1865 uh, to pass uh, the 13th Amendment. Yeah. Uh, Policy of slavery, uh, you know, forever and, and, and everywhere in, in the reunited That's interesting. United States. We'll be back after a short break to talk about Ms. Nikki Haley's Civil War comment. We'll be right back. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. And if you are, then why not treat us to a cup of coffee? That's right. For the price of a cup of coffee, you too can become a monthly supporter of the History Behind News podcast. We rely on your support to continue this program, to continue peeling the history behind our news. Supporting us is easy. Just click the support link in the detailed caption of this episode. And while you're there, check out the information about our guests and other attributions and links. 
and thank you. Mr. Lowenstein, during the break, uh, you and I were talking about uh, President Lincoln's second inaugural address and, and sort of his own evolution. I'd love to for you to share that with uh, our audience, please. So one thing that happens to Lincoln during the war is he's increasing pain over the numbers of lives lost. This is just a horrific bloodletting. He feels personally uh, just just he's mortified by it. Uh, he says he says at one point in his speech in, in Philadelphia he, he he fears that the heavens are wreathed in black. Wow! Um, and he begins to look for a uh, as as human beings do. There must be some purpose. You know, there, there there must be some higher purpose. He's not a um, a religious man in in the sense of any organized. Uh, of course, he's, he's Protestant, but but um, he, he was not a big churchgoer. He's not was not affiliated with any particular uh, church. Mm-hmm. But he begins to speak of the purposes of the Almighty. That that um, uh, as if as if uh, only Almighty, hopefully Almighty, can explain what we on earth can't explain as some justification uh, uh, for this horrible bloodletting. And he finally finds it in the second inaugural address. The second inaugural is on March 4th, 1865. Uh, the war is going to end just about exactly one month later. And of course, Lincoln's life is going to end uh, just four days uh, after that. So not you know, he knows he's towards the end of the war. The slaughter on both sides has been horrific. As know that he's almost at the end of his life. And he says, he says, all knew that this, he talks about the slavery interest, this was somehow the cause of the war. So somehow, not, not that it was the one cause, the only cause, the thing that brought them to war, it was somehow behind it. He's, he's careful to respect the nuances of history. And then he says that it was the, he envisions the war as being the punishment that God meted out to North and South for hmm. the crime of slavery for the three, 250 years of the bondman's toil. He says, and if, if God wills it, it will go on till every cent that had been earned through the slave trade and the owning of slaves was frittered away. Uh, and, and so he recasts the war as being divine punishment to the North and to the South uh, for the crime of slavery. And if not for a, as not a, an initial cause, as a holy purpose, uh, he recasts war as a punishment for slavery. That's a profound that statement. Evolution. Yeah, uh, I was going to say that's a profound statement for a man who is not necessarily devoutly religious, right? Very profound. Yeah, but um, you know, suffering uh, suffering brings people to. Um, uh, Deeper and and um, uh, uh, thoughts and, and 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 thoughts about the afterlife and the divine exactly. purpose and 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 um, he was suffering. Yeah, I know. Uh, finding a reason for why all of this happened. Uh, correct me with some numbers here. I don't remember these uh, offhand. Uh, you know, we're talking about slaughter yeah, here. Obviously, this this is the coloration he puts on it retrospectively. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's a beautiful yeah. poetic coloration, but we have to understand it. He's not saying this in 1862. He's saying this at right. the tail end of it in 1865. Right. Um, if I remember correctly from my readings, about 675,000 or so Americans died in the Civil sure. War. 
that's more than World War One and World War Two combined. Yeah, I I, I think it's about hundred thousand or so in World War One and about four hundred fifty thousand in World War Two. Four fifty sounds right to me. Yeah, without stealing a look at myself, on which I will not do. I thought World War One was closer to two hundred, but two hundred. But you're still you're still right. You're still yeah. Right. Wow, and, that is and amazing. the country, of course, the country, you know, is was obviously immeasurably better, bigger. Uh, in, in those during those wars, and and we're combining the total, we, and we still don't get here exactly. So six hundred seventy-five thousand was a much bigger proportion of our population in the eighteen sixties. And um, wow, well, don't forget they're dying at the hands of fellow Americans. Yeah, yeah, dying at the hands of fellow yeah. Uh, it really was a slaughter, um, Mr. Lowenstein, um Let's let's use. Contemporary politics to go back to history again. Um, Ms. Nikki Haley recently said that the Civil War was about basically how the government was going to run. Um, was there anything about how the federal government was run by President Buchanan right before President Lincoln that you that could uh, instigate no, look, a war? No, look the the. The, the, the slavery, the divide over slavery gave rise to a whole host of divides. Uh, the South was agricultural. The North was industrial. Uh, slave labor uh, fitted uh, agriculture much more. It wasn't clear you could really run uh, industrial plants, railroads, and so on, uh, um, factories with large numbers of slaves. The South was fearful of going into that sort of uh, economy. Uh, they didn't. They were not anxious uh, to have. They were not eager to have a public education. They thought, uh, "Wow, they're they're a quotation in my book from a Virginian in the 1600s saying, um, uh, you know, we, we don't want. I don't want public education here for hundreds of years. We hope they never come here." They thought it <laughs> were poisoned minds of 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 young Southerners and particularly poor whites. Yeah, uh, they they were desperate uh, to preserve the fiction that slavery was good for everybody. Uh, even the slaves themselves, um, uh, but but particularly the poor whites who they knew uh, they would have to call on uh, to defend the slavery someday if it ever came to that. Uh, so uh, there were all uh, sorts of uh, the Southern society was much less equal in the sense that we use equality or inequality today. They had slave owners and non-slave owners, whereas uh, the North. What was the percentage? Do we have any numbers? Yeah, yeah, we have. Eighty percent of the whites down south did not own slaves, huh. and and only eighty percent. Yes, and okay. only five percent of Southerners were, were, were big slaveholders. So you know, if you discount the ones who had maybe a slave or two to help with the garden out back or something, didn't have a plantation. Yeah. Uh, the one out of twenty, what we think of with the with the uh, gone with the wind, the Red Butler type mansion. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so so they really needed the support. The, the aristocracy really needed the support. Of uh, lowly, you know, low lower class whites to support them in any conflict. The, but the, to, to answer your question, there were all sorts of differences in society uh, that the difference over uh, slavery informed. The North tried to pass a bunch of bills for a Homestead Act. Uh, to, uh, for instance, it was one of them where the government would give land, you know, if you just if you'd farm it for five years. They wanted to fill the territories with this. South didn't want that. They wanted to fill those territories with slaves, so so the divide over slavery kept the Congress from passing a Homestead Act. Uh, uh, same thing 
uh, over. They wanted to expand their cotton plantations essentially geographically. Exactly, exactly. Uh, huh. Same thing. Um, the North wanted to pass the moral, uh, what became the Moral Land Grant Act, to form colleges on, on federal uh, lands. Uh, they wanted to pass an, uh, a Department of Agriculture. Uh, Jefferson Davis, to, to help our farmers, uh, the, the South was mortally afraid of any expanded federal government because, as, as one a Southerner said in the, in the 1830s, he said, um, uh, a government that builds canals can more easily emancipate. We don't want a strong federal government. Once they start doing things, you know, they're going to go to where we don't want them to go. So there were differences in the conception of government, what government could do, what government should do. But that had nothing to do with what happened in, um, you know, in, in, I mean, the immediate cause in, in, in 1861, I think, was, was the one we discussed. Um, Mr. Lowenstein, um, you and I talked about a year ago. Um, about your book, Ways and Means, and, and uh, I'll provide a link for our listeners to, 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 to listen to that episode. I've read your book, and the reason I bring it up is, is now that you bring up uh, poor white Southerners, it reminds me of your book. Reading your book, it was about economy and how the, 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 you know, the North and the South f- tried to finance the war. One of the things that I went away with uh, I, I don't think it's a stretch, uh, but you can correct me. Uh, the the war it's, it didn't seem to be a fight between the North and the South. It was more like the North fighting the elite of the South. That's how it started. And then the poor whites got sucked into this. Because as I read your book, the poor whites were doing really badly in their lives. They were doing really, really badly. It was really a, a, a war, I think, between two different types of civilizations. Uh, you know, one of them was, was, uh, more what we would call middle class. They had, um, uh, you know, town squares and, and, and village meetings. Um, they had public facilities, uh, libraries, lyceums, uh, and so on. What's a lyceum? I don't know what Lyceum that is. was a place where people, speakers would go. Lincoln would speak at the Springfield Lyceum and so on. Oh, okay. They had a sense of community. And, you know, in the town square, around the town, um, uh, they shared information about crops with each other, uh, and so on. There was a sense of civic society yeah. uh, in these little towns in New England, Pennsylvania, New York, and so on. The South were organized around large plantations, very rich people, and, and everybody else. And the, you know, there's a, um, the, the descriptions of these, of these poor Southerners living in these tar shacks. Standing at the side of the roadside when a northerner wrote homes, descriptions of them right before the war, and uh, he described their hands in their pockets as if they didn't even have the the impetus to shield their their eyes from the sun. You know, they were that, that wow. uh, backward. There, there was no uh, industrial progress. Uh, you know, he saw you know mules trying to to pull stuck wagons out of the mud and tar. It was just a, a backward society. The South was really afraid. Of progress because progress could mean um, uh, ultimately uh, emancipation. Um, the, the South was uh, petrified. The Southern leaders, the, uh, secession came wholly from the slave owners. It was their project. They controlled the legislatures. Uh, a few, almost none of the states had referendums. They didn't want it to go to a popular vote. And in the correspondence between the leaders, they said um, it will never pass. A very interesting comment from 
uh, a man named uh, Mr. Brown, uh, governor of Georgia, uh, right around the time of secession. And he said, um, the poor man's best government is slavery. The poor man's best government is slavery. So not roads, not not railroads, not um, uh, uh, you know an act to bring colleges to the people, not a homestead act uh, so they can have land to farm, education, all the things that Lincoln wanted to bring. What he meant was, if we have slavery, you, the poor whites, are at least one rung up above the bottom. You know, that's what we're offering you. The poor man's best government is slavery. And a, a man, a North Carolinian, who was a, a lower middle class, but educated a North Carolinian, hit and row and helper, uh, wrote a book uh, a few years before the South, before the, before the Civil War, called The Impending Crisis of the South. And he, what he did was he compared the average incomes in, in North Carolina and New York, in Georgia and and Massachusetts, he declared all states, state by state, education, industry, income, and so on. And he said, yeah, you guys are screwed. You, 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 the poor whites, you're getting a bad deal here. This is, this is a government, an aristocratic government. It's not working for you. It's working for themselves. This slave society, it not only doesn't it work for the blacks, but his audience didn't much care about that. It doesn't work for the 80% of whites who didn't own slaves. The book was banned across the South. <laughs> I bet. It, it, it caused, it caused a tremendous, uh, you know, uproar. And, you know, in fact, there was a, there was a huge fight because, um, when, um, uh, uh, John Sherman of Ohio, uh, was, uh, nominated to be Speaker of the House before the war and Southerners were still in the House. Is this uh, General Sherman, Sherman's brother? This is German, General Sherman's brother. Yeah. But, but John Sherman had been in a list of, um, of, uh, representatives who had endorsed the book. I'm sure he never read it. Uh, he was not particularly liberal. On, on, on race relations, but but there was a fight for nearly six months, and then finally they, they just couldn't get his nomination to because anyone who would who would endorse this book, whether he read or not, <laughs> was persona on ground of Southernism. But this this book got really um, at at their weak spot, you know, much more than critiques. There were plenty of critiques, and, and I go through some of them uh, from Northerners of the Southern society, but to have one of their own, you know. Uh, saying, um, you're betraying us. You're betraying us. This really got it at their weak spot. So had they uh, held some sort of referendum, do you think uh, poor Southerners would have voted against going to war? Uh, I, I, I Because do. race... And I don't uh, know what kind of propaganda... Race complicates they, this. You know, what kind of propaganda they would have been subject to, yeah. uh, how free the balloting would have been, yeah. and so on. You know, we saw that happen in elections in the South in a later period regarding African Americans, but but they had no uh, they had no economic interest in it. Now, you know, would they have been deluded? You know, once once the shooting started, it was different because then then the aristocrats were able to convince uh, Johnny Reb, "Well, you're fighting you know for the honor of the South, for your own territory, yeah. people, and so on." Yeah, uh, that 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 changed uh, that game, but. Um, you know, would they have realized it is a hard question, but they really had no uh, ec economic interest. In fact, in areas that were not uh, deep South states, for instance, in North Carolina, there was a tremendous amount of resistance to the war as it went on. And there were areas of North Carolina backwards that were basically in virtual rebellion. Uh, oh, the wow. Rebellion that, that, that the Confederate Army didn't dare go into. I mean, they were, they were in, in, in tacit rebellion and there were letters of, of back and forth between the governor and, and, and 
various people say you have to get your people in line. You know, what you're doing is, is you're, you're, you're an insurrection against the insurrection. Wow. <laughs> you know? um, and um, because um, they, they, you know, they felt they were being, um, they were being starved and, 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 and for what end they began to say. And, and, and um, so uh, they began to have trouble. Uh, particularly backwoods areas, mountain areas, you know, not the low-lying deltas yeah. where there were huge cotton crops, where it was slavery was so uh, uh, much a part of the economy. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. Let's take a break here. Stay with me and Mr. Lowenstein as we get into the perspective. The History Behind News podcast is available on all your favorite podcast platforms. Of course, we love your reviews and ratings of our podcast, especially on Apple and Spotify. And remember, don't keep us to yourself. Tell a friend about the History Behind News podcast. Mr. Lowenstein, let's return to Ms. Haley's statement which she essentially retracted later. Uh, I think she said something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing here, of course, slavery caused the Civil War. That's, that's, my interest is not to talk about that. In your January 2nd newsletter on Substack, which I subscribe to and love, you, you had this, uh, um, this line, quote, if the causes of great events could be fitted into single sentences, we would not need History books, unquote. So, yeah, how do we communicate the complexities of histories nowadays? Very self-serving since I read history books. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, uh, Republicans, but, but also some Democrats, particularly in the far left, have gotten themselves into a in sort of an unnecessary bind or war of sound bites. So, so what Nikki Haley is, um, there's sort of two extreme views. One of them, I think, was represented in the, in the New York Times' you know, 1619 project, where they basically said anything that happened in American history uh, was, was 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 due to slavery. And yeah, that, yeah, that, that's yeah. a paraphrase, but but it's a pretty faithful uh, paraphrase. Mm-hmm. And that's that's obviously not true. I mean, Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. Does everything to do with slavery? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't want to like yeah make a whole show about that. Um, and 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 there were many other divisions that divided. North and South, um, as we talked about, the sort of all these other economic divisions, and there was this whole issue of of um, preserving the Union, which was the immediate reason why why Lincoln and the North went to war. Um, but um, but that doesn't mean you know. So I I I think you know, the 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 people on the far left, there's no need to overstate the case. I mean, slavery was was the huge issue between these these. Um, Sectors and and nobody is or nobody should be disputing that. And on the other hand, you know, I think Nikki Haley, presumably because she's in a political primary and and didn't want to offend maybe who she perceives as to be Republican voters, um, you know, refused to say the S word when she said, you know, what's causes slavery? I love it. It's ridiculous. The it's just, S word. It's just ridiculous. And you know, I, I hope we haven't gotten to the point where we can't discuss history in, in political campaigns. But but. Um, you know, if, if politicians want to wade in, then um, there's no there's no need to have to do it in in a soundbite. And hopefully, whatever they're, whoever they're talking to will quote them or air them at some length. Um, you know, history can be complicated, and and we learn from its complexity. It's it's rich, and and um, we shouldn't shy away. You know, I remember I said 
Civil War was really two steps. The South seceded, and that was because of the fear that that that, that Republicans were too harsh on slavery. And the the North went to war to preserve the Union. Yeah, you know, those are different. And um, the, 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 if you try to oversimplify things, you know, then, then you sacrifice a good deal of, of accuracy and understanding. And let me ask you a bigger question about our country. Um, I often hear this from other scholars. They talk about even countries that are oppressed, uh, such as the Middle East. They talk about how society, not just the scholarly elite, uh, society engages in intellectual conversations about philosophy, history, and what they even have classes that are oversubscribed. Um, do you think that in America we've lost a taste for that? Maybe that was back in the 1960s that we just don't really do that anymore. I think there are still, I mean, you mean intellectual discussions and so on? Is that, is that what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I look. I think there's still we still have tremendous scholars in this country. We, there, there, lots of people enrolled in universities. Some of them take their studies very seriously. Some of them continue to be very interested. Um, I think we've lost a little bit of the ability to um, disagree with each other in um, uh, with some sort of suppleness or flexibility, recognition that um, uh, history is complicated. There isn't necessarily you know, one view. I mean, there's, there's some expressions come up uh, involving, um, came up during COVID, it's come up during climate change, the science. You can talk about the science. And actually, science is not a the. It, 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 it's an evolving process. If you talk to a scientist about how they, um, uh, how they uh, think about things, there's a hypothesis, they go with it. Uh, after a while, someone has another hypothesis, and it, it, it keeps adjusting. I mean, after all, um, uh, Einstein proved Newton wrong, and, yeah. and and Einstein part of Einstein's theory now, uh, you know, quantum theory has 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 replaced part of Einstein. Yeah, I don't want to lose all of our readers with, with, uh, <laughs> with quantum physics. Uh, yeah, yeah, and lose myself too. But um, uh, but but when we tend to think of you know we think back to to um, uh, the pandemic, um, the CD was 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 continuously saying you know. We think this, and then some weeks later, some months later, you know, uh, uh, findings changed. We knew more. You know, we first were two months into the pandemic, then but six. That's and, a good thing. That's not a bad. That's thing. a good thing. That's yeah. a good thing. And but when you say um, the science, as if it's um, you know the Talmud or the Bible, there's only one Bible. <laughs> there's only one Old Testament. There's only one New Testament. It'll yeah. never change. It's immutable, and that's 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 immutable. Uh, you can't argue with that. Their interpretation could change. Yes, science is not immutable, and if you think about it as immutable, then then people become uh, more rigid and inflexible. And I think that's I just use the example of science. Yeah, I think that's um, ended into too many discussions, and that's why, you know, Thanksgiving used to be an easy time for families, and now it's like, well, Uncle Joe's coming, and Aunt Sarah, you know, they don't get along. We better, you know, politically, yeah, better, politically, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's interesting, uh, Mr. Lowenstein. Thank you so much for educating me and our listeners. And to our listeners, if you know of any history that could provide more perspective from the past on this subject, please share it with us and tell us what's your perspective. Thanks very much. Del, always my pleasure.
The opinions and statements of our guests are their own. We neither agree nor disagree with them. We're only interested in the perspective they provide through history. At History Behind News, we're honored that our guests share their expertise with us, most of which are based on years of scholarship and research, and we provide links to their projects and publications for your benefit to review them if you wish. Otherwise, we're not affiliated with our guests. We just think they teach us pretty cool history, the history behind our news. Also, unless we explicitly inform you, we're not affiliated with any institutions, including Amazon, for which book links are shared here from time to time for your convenience. Finally, as a reminder, we don't do news here at History Behind News, we peel the news for the history behind it. And our mission is not to provide a complete account and analysis of the past, rather is to highlight some issues and incidents in our history that may poke and prod your discerning minds into seeking some perspective for our news. And if you disagree with our take on history, well then, it means we've succeeded in getting you to think about the history behind news. And of course, share your thoughts with me by leaving your comments on Twitter or sending an email to Adele at historybehindnews.com. I love to hear from you. I love to learn from you. Until next time, this is Adele with History Behind News, a history podcast for our news. <music>